Last Rock, eighth end, up by two. I don't think I'm. I don't think I'm white. I don't think you are either. Oh, oh. it's clean. Oh, don't kill oh. it, Ben. Don't kill it. Don't kill it. Line's really good. Right on the button, guys. Right Last here. stone for Kevin Martin. They want it on the button. The sweepers are watching it. Fans are on their feet. Kevin Martin goes out as a champion. Cuts him to one. He will win his final Grand Slam, taking the Players' Championship. Talk about putting an exclamation mark at the end of a career. All he had to do was cut him down. Kevin Martin can celebrate. He is a champion. It's golf season, okay? <laughs> Greetings again, everybody. It's Jungle Jim Jerome coming at you with Warren Hansen, our World Curling Hall of Famer, and our other World Curling Hall of Famer, Kevin Martin, with the series of interviews that Kevin did. They were recorded at the Players' Championship. We'd like to acknowledge all five of our fantastic sponsors who've stuck with us. Thank you to Sports Interaction, Coyote Tractor, Goldline Curling Equipment, Nestle Boost, and Meridian. Kevin, you did an interview with Tabitha Peterson. Uh, recorded at the Players' Championship. You're getting very good, Kevin. You're like a good Charlie Rose now at these interviews. <laughs> you know, you, when you get to have a chance to talk to Tabitha Peterson, that, she, she's an easy person to talk to. Very nice, very knowledgeable. Man. All right, a new nickname, Charlie. <laughs> Charlie. Although I know Charlie's history. Maybe we want to change that. Yeah, he was a good interview, but a bit of a bad dude. So maybe we want to take that out of there. <laughs> uh, enjoy this. Sit back. Kevin's interview with Tabitha Peterson. Thank you very much for uh, for taking the time to talk to us today yeah. during the players. Um, since the Olympic Games, what have you been doing curling-wise? Just practice, really, individually. We haven't gotten together as a team since the Olympics. We kind of just took the time off. It was a lot leading up to it, as anyone can imagine. So, like, Tara and I have been practicing together in the cities, and then Becca played in the mixed doubles and won. So she's headed to Switzerland after the Players' Championship, and then she'll come home for, like, a day and go to the Champions Cup. So busy spring for her. It's good to be back together playing as a team. I'll bet it's good to be back together. That's about five weeks off or something. So uh, let's get into maybe how you got into curling a little bit. How did you get into it? Where and at what age? I was about 10. And the reason we started was because my family's Canadian. So my mom's Canadian. So her dad, my grandpa, played in Canada for a little bit. And then he moved down to the cities, played up on the Iron Range for many years. Whoa, whoa, hang on. Iron Range. I Northern don't know what Minnesota. That is. Oh, okay. Really? You've been there. Eveleth. Yeah. That's the Iron Range. It's called the Iron Range? Yeah. There's mining and stuff. So I think that's why. I'm not from there. So my grandpa played and then um, never taught any of his daughters. It was my mom and three other kids. We all went down at the same time to the St. Paul Curling Club when I was about 10. And my family and us three kids, we all tried it. Got involved in the junior program and, you know. Loved it. And here you are all these years later. Huh. That's cool. In the U.S. right now. Maybe you try to explain what's going on with the growth of the sport in the U.S. Not just the incredible growth, but why? What's, what's, what's going on? It is really cool to see. I guess I don't know specific numbers, but it seems like, especially after every Olympic cycle, 
every curling club gets just hit with learn to curls and corporate events. And so in terms of growing the game, that's huge, just getting people in the door and trying it. And then, of course, it's getting some of those people to join leagues and, you know, play more than just one time. And just seeing clubs, you know, in warmer climates like Arizona and Florida and California now, it's just really cool to see it growing and these dedicated facilities popping up. So I think it's awesome, but I think we can grow it even more and try to get it not just when it's popular with the Olympics, kind of get more sustainable growth. Yeah, one thing I notice um, when I go to the clubs, and I, I go to the clubs in, in the U.S. quite a lot, mm-hmm. actually, mm-hmm. Um, the excitement of the player is different than in Canada. If you come to the club in Canada, we have many clubs. Almost every town in their entire country has a curling club. And they take their game very seriously and, and love it, very passionate. In the States, they're passionate too, but in a very energetic and excited way. Like, <laughs> if you walk into a club, everybody's wearing their club shirt, yeah, or their pin, their name tag with the club on it. and Maybe it's because, like, as a kid, my dad always curled. So I was sitting at the table when I was six years old, and you get all this curling information kind of through osmosis. There's nothing you can do about it. You're, you're going to know how to skip the game by the time you're seven or eight because it's just, that's what you talk about at the kitchen table. Mm-hmm. But maybe in, it isn't like that. Learning it as an adult more. Right, rather than learning it as a, as a kid. I just, I'm just wondering your thoughts on that because I think it's really good. Like, I love going into the clubs. It's a party atmosphere. 24-7. I, th- I think that's healthy. Yeah, I do too. You know, I played in a fun spiel in the middle of March too at the Frogtown Curling Club, which is also a club in St. Paul. And it was a very fun environment. It just is. Like everyone is just super into it, but it's not just about the curling. It's about making friends and kind of having this sense of club and community, kind of like you said. So you got this big growth going. No question about that. I guess my next question is, how do we get the U.S. High Performance Program growing at the same rate as curling is? Uh, it is doing well. Well, your thoughts on the High Performance Program, first of all, and the growth in the youth. Yeah, they've definitely tried to focus or, I guess, allocate more funds to, a, they call it a developmental group, like a D group, just to get more good curlers kind of in that pipeline. Because, yeah, we have two, three good teams in men's and women's side, but it'd be nice to have more competitive teams. And I think the way you get that is if you get them good when they're younger and get them just more exposed to the game and just playing lots. And, you know, sometimes you can't do that without money, frankly, because then it's on the parents and, you know, so it's tough. But USA Curling as a whole, we've changed a lot of things in the last couple of years, you know, with a new CEO, we have a lot of new staff. And so I think we're trying to kind of morph things in a way to keep up and get more growth too. Yeah. If you're a young kid who loves the game, say in Seattle, are there training camps? Say it's a, a guy who's 15 years old in, in real life. So this kid loves the game and I know a couple of them. They go to Vancouver. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there are a few, but yes, you'll probably have to travel to the Midwest. Like in terms of like a local, I don't know how much there is of that. That's what I was wondering about a training camp situation for teams from the West versus, because it's a big country. So from the East or as you're saying now, there's clubs in deep South. So as soon as you get all these clubs in all these various locations, obviously uh, X amount of young people are going to love our game because it's a cerebral game. If you're really good at math, if you're really good at physics, this is the kind of game for you. So you're going to get these kids that love this sport. Okay, good. Now what? And that, that's always my worry. And finding, you know, good coaches or good people that can teach them the right way. And So how is that going with coaching and instruction in the U.S.? 
because that's an important one. I know that that's why I'm down there. When I do come down, I usually do schools and stuff. But mm-hmm. is that looked after? Not not just uh, USCA either. Yeah. It doesn't have to be just the, the curling association that does this stuff. I mean, if you just look at like what I'm exposed to in terms of the clubs that I go to, it seems like there are a lot of adults volunteering their time Saturday mornings or whatever for the junior program. So, yes, but I guess I don't know how structured it is and what they're teaching them. And, you know, is it just technique and go out and have fun or is it strategy? So I guess I'm not sure, but it's, it's all volunteer, right? So is, is there a national training center in the U.S.? Technically, it's Chaska. Oh, okay. So we train off ice at the training house, which is the Minnesota Vikings facility in Egan, Minnesota. And then our ice official training site is the Chaska Club. So Chaska Club's a gorgeous club. It is. For anybody that hasn't been there. There's talks. I don't know how much public information this is, but to get an on-site ice arena at the Training House, the Vikings complex campus, there's talks of building something there. But that's probably three, four, or five, whatever, years away. That's the ideal dream, I guess, to kind of have it all in one spot. I guess the trick with Chaska, uh, it's just such a busy place. It is. Yeah. It's got a gorgeous, for anybody that doesn't know, uh, Chaska Curling Club, I I love the place. It's got a sports bar at the one end that's, a lot of curling clubs, the bar is just for the curling members, really. But it's not like that there. Mm -hmm. The whole community comes. You just go there for brunch. It's full. Yeah. Food's fantastic. Yeah. They have great wine. (laughs) And there's an event center attached. They do weddings and all that too. So yeah, it's, it's a beautiful facility. But in terms of just sheer distance from the Vikings facility, it's a good 45 minute drive. So not ideal if you're trying to do both in one day. <laughs> right. Not, no, but, but still pretty darn good with excellent ice conditions. Oh, yes. Let's dive into a little bit with the Olympics and uh, the, the tiebreaker scenario. I want to hear your thoughts on, on mm-hmm. that because, you know, for Jennifer Jones, I, you know, I haven't talked to her about it yet, but I'm sure, you know, she'll have something to say about it. But I, I'm not worried about each team individually, but actually losing out of something like the Olympic Games mm-hmm. with the same record as somebody else. And it's just the the draw shot challenge. I mean, we know how important the draw shot is because of situations like this. I mean, even in some slam events and other events, if it's pool play, like the draw shot is a factor. You know, we that's kind of part of our thing is like that's so important. So we have to tailor our practice around to getting a very low draw shot because it matters. It matters a lot, not only for hammer, but for seating and everything. So so how do you do your practice that can help you with that? Lots of draws. We hardly throw any hits. It's just trying to break down the pads around the draws, which I guess then you play the first down. You're like, we have no idea what this path is doing. So it's, you know, give or take, but that's kind of what we've done. I guess I don't know hundred percent where we are in the standings for the draw shot, but it's just a different format at the Olympics than a world championships, you know, with the straight semi and final versus page ice time, it's TV time, it's all this extra stuff if you're going to play a tiebreaker game. From the governing body yeah. side of things, how do you, how do you organize such a thing with, with that? Yeah, mm-hmm. I want to ask you about playoff systems because you just said that one playoff system is different from another and a different from another, whereas a lot of sports tend to have the same type of a way to crown the champ. You mean similar across all events? For the most part, you know, yeah, you have a certain way of getting to the playoffs. Okay, we're in the playoffs. And then a certain way of getting your champion. Curling's not quite like that. Mm-hmm. When you come to events, I imagine you probably have to look at the rules of play. To Every f- time. <laughs> well, right, right? So you, you come to a certain event and you go, oh, so what's the playoffs going to be like this time? Mm-hmm. And like for this one, it's triple knock. Your draw shot doesn't matter. So you're just going to get hammer. But yes, and then eight ends, 10 ends. Like there's, everything is just so different. Like you said, from event to event. 
I don't know if that's good or bad. Do we want it a little more streamlined and the same for teams and TV? I don't know, but it's something to think about. It's just something interesting when you're talking about coming to an event and you got to look at the rule book to say, okay, are we playing eight ends or 10 ends? <laughs> uh, is it a round robin or is it a double knockout or is it yeah. a triple knockout? Is yeah. it this or is it that? There's always, back in the day, uh, some people were really good at triple knockouts. Some people were really good at round robins. I always liked round robin play. A guy by the name of Kerry Burtnick, that's an old name from curling, and he was so good at triple knockouts. He almost never came out of A. He'd stumble around A, B, C, and then he'd get going. Then he'd get going and watch out. And then out. you play more games than the A qualifiers, like three, four more games. So you know the ice better. You know the ice better. You've played with more <laughs> sets of rocks. You've played on every sheet. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> well, that's true. That's exactly exactly the way it is. Um, one thing I want to talk about is the length of events. The World Championships just just finished up in Vegas. Fifteen games, I think, for the for the winners yeah. to play. I remember last year in Calgary. I think we played sixteen. Like right. Yeah. Your comment on that? Is there no way we can? crown a champ a little sooner that's a lot of games in in Mm -hmm. real life if you're going to play that and then to your point becca hamilton uh she's going to the uh, mixed doubles and play what 15 16 more games like Mm -hmm. how much uh, of this can a body take and your thoughts on the length of events and if we could yeah well are you fine with it the way it is it's kind of okay do you add more teams and then do two pools or do you cut it down to 12, 11, or 10, 10 at the Olympics, and then you only have nine in the round robin. I don't know. There's, I guess, a lot of different ways you could change it. If you're going to expand the, the field mm-hmm. to X from 13 to maybe 18, but instead of playing everybody, you only play half the field in a split. So what's the benefits of that, do you think? Um, I mean, I think it's good for more countries to get more exposure to the game, which is going to help to grow the game. And so that's probably the route I would choose versus cutting it to 10. Right. No, but those are important decisions to be made because like everybody that is going to be sitting in that chair talking about curling wants the game to grow. Mm-hmm. So how do we do that? What's the best way? So a lot of people sit there, we'll go, well, let's cut it down to 10, but then let's have another group, a B group where there's 10, and then maybe even a C group, mm-hmm. there's 10. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are definitely different ways of looking at it. But I know for sure having a 15 game or 16 for you in the bubble Oh my goodness. Ah! Yeah, it's long. And I mean, you'd probably notice that a lot of teams were playing their, with their alternates probably more than normal because it's a long week. So like, let's give someone a rest. Okay, let's go a different direction here. Let's go back into USA curling and building your teams. First thing, do you build your teams anymore? Like, is it up to us? Yeah. Do you build your, does Tabitha build Team Peterson? Mostly, yes. For a while, it was kind of, there's a combine and a tryout and we're going to choose teams and... It didn't work out, I think, the way they wanted it to. So it was a little bit more, we'll help you find players, but you can choose, for the most part, who you want to play with. So that's kind of where we're at right now. You get to mostly choose who you want to play with, but they kind of will help you if you need to contact people or, oh, this person has a lot of potential in juniors, like maybe you should consider that person. But it's not how it was. I, I think it was like after the 2014 games, it was they chose who was playing with who. And now it's a little leveled out a little bit more. And is that mostly for a quadrennial? Like, well, well at the end of this season, what happens? Because, <laughs> yep. because doesn't curling really work on a four-year cycle now? Yeah. So what do you guys do at the end of Champions Cup? We decide what we want to do in terms of are we going to play, number one. We're 33 kind of at the age of having kids and two of our players have kids. And number two, if we're going to play, who are we going to play with? Same team? Or do we want to grow a whole new team? Because that's a lot of work too. If you have two players and then you have two brand new ones, 
it's a lot of work versus playing with people that you know and you've played with and it's so yeah lots of decisions to be made <laughs> well, how about sponsorship wise how how do you set it up with your sponsors as far as is that a deal now I, I don't know the answer is that a deal with Tabitha Peterson or is it team Peterson how do you set up sponsorship deals in in the US I don't like compared to Canada yeah but we don't really have as near as many sponsors as all the Canadian teams so that's pretty easy <laughs> We, I, th- I mean, we have Hardline, and then we have Eileen's work. That's it. Okay. So, yeah, you get it through like work. Like, our money is, like, through United States Olympic Committee. That's about it. Yes, we could work a little harder to find some sponsors, but it's a lot of work. I know Team Schuster has an agent, and so they probably have a different answer. Yeah. Well, I just think it's important that people that, that listen to what we do here with understand that the curling is not the same everywhere. And how how yeah. teams get funded, and primarily yours is through the U.S. Olympic Association, Olympic and Paralympic Committee for your team, and that would be the same for Schuster's team. Other than gold medals, gold medals get you a little more sponsors, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a few more. But they should, I think. Yeah, they, 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 I think so too. Yeah, that, I think it's well deserved. You brought up a great point of the alternates played more in this last World Championship that we've seen in a long time. Mm-hmm. I guess the question is. Is a five-person team going to become more common, mm-hmm. or are we going to end up changing the game a little bit? Because That's you know, a good question. We, we can be real busy if we have six players or five players, and you just and you don't have to play as much. Sure. And you can play more. Uh, your thoughts on that? Because I think it's really important discussion to have mm-hmm. with the way that our sports expanding. Mm-hmm. I think the way it is right now with all the events and back to back to back to back, like Gushu and Dean are nonstop since the Olympics. That's a lot of curling. But, you know, do you have a job or not? Because if that is your job, then fine. Yeah, I think that's a very valid question. Um, We like having a five-man team for the reason of we want to play in all these events because you kind of have to to keep up and to get points and get points, get invites you into these championships and all that. But at the same time, you got to work. You got to be at home and work and make money. And so we liked having five because then we could kind of I mean, granted, the Olympic year was a little different. We kind of stayed mostly us four. But previous seasons, you know, Nina and Eileen both having babies, so taking time off for for that. And so five has worked very well for us. But that's a good question of how it's going to be going forward. If the schedule's so condensed and, like, there's so many events and it's the season's getting longer and longer and longer, I think five is probably going to be the way that it goes. So let's uh, segue that into uh, you play mixed doubles, too. And there's another discipline, with, yeah, <laughs> with Joe Polo, right? Yeah, and uh, and uh, now Joe's on one of the best teams, mm-hmm. and you are, and you play mixed doubles, so that adds another handful of events. Now you're seeing teams like Laura Walker and Kirk that just announced. I think they're just doing mixed doubles, right? Because it's a grind. It's a lot, and just injuries too. Just your body, like mm-hmm. you start playing mixed doubles and four person curling. There's not going to be a 45 year old <laughs> curler anymore because <laughs> by then you're done. Your body's ripped to shreds. Yeah. Oh my. Just one more thing, Tabitha, mm-hmm. before we go, and that's uh, with USA curling and with your team, not your team, but all the the top high performance teams in the U.S. To get like John in Pyeongchang to the top of the podium. Are there training systems that you guys are using to try to get to that stage You're, like by watching other teams that are winning mm-hmm. and, and trying to set up, I guess, training programs would be the right way to say it, who can, that can increase your uh, chances of getting to the top of the podium? I guess what I could say about that is just we're trying to just pull in as many resources as possible to get all the information in terms of 
you know, everything, nutrition, fitness, strategy. So like, yeah, I watch a ton of curling because I think that really helps me in my game. Honestly, like I feel like it's the top teams are so they're so good and they're so close. It's kind of whoever has an on week, really. I mean, you see Adine just winning everything. So <laughs> and Tyrion Zoni, right? So they're so good. They hardly miss. So, you know, practicing and practicing and trying to get that edge. What is that edge? And what are teams doing that you're not doing and seeing how the game changes with new rules and how people are adapting the no tick zone and statistics. Like there's so many things that you can do to learn and keep learning because the game is ever changing. No tick zone definitely looked like it had an effect in uh, Prince George. Uh, mm-hmm. Your thoughts quickly, because we're playing that here as well at the players. So, Yep. I thought it was cool. Lots, A lot more rocks in play, which is really fun to watch. And it's not so much of a, a gimme shot, I guess, when you're tied coming home because the, you can't take the guards, you know, tick, tick, and it the ends over. How about the pressure on the leads? Yeah. Crazy. I, I think that's yeah. awesome. The leads yeah. are, uh, no, I don't want to be mean to a lead. I'm a skip. So I don't uh, have Benny throws out turn and lob it up there a couple times, mm-hmm. you know, and put one close to the house, one far. Nah, not now. Now they've got to be a on. A little more precision. Oh yeah. Like they're sweating bullets, which is great, which is great. That's like, uh, as a fan, as a fan watching the leads now late in games in big situations, oh, oh it's different. Mm-hmm. It's different than it's ever been. And, and as a fan, I don't know. I, I I I love seeing a person stand over a putt that's like three feet. It's not a gimme, but it should be made. Yeah, that draw, that guard should be made. Oh, but it's a it's a long ways to the other end of a curling ice to get on that center line. So I liked watching it, and so now this is our first time playing it in a full game this week. And you know, we didn't really have a very close game, so it's hard to tell. But um, from watching the men's and the women's worlds, is I I liked what I saw. Cool. Well, thank you very much, Tabitha. Good luck this week. Thanks. Like I said, Kevin, you're getting very good, okay? You've come a long way, my friend. That was great. Uh, one of the things I heard there that at the end, she's not real pleased about the money she's getting, the sponsorship money. I think it's only the American Olympic Committee, Warren, that's given them money, and you say they really don't have much money, Warren? Well, it's primarily coming from the USOC. I, I don't think they get a lot of support from USA Curling because they're just not financially in a position to do that, and they can garner some sponsorship, but as she indicated, uh, it's not a lot, so... They have to uh, struggle to find where their training money is going to come from. Right. What else did you think, Warren, listening to that interview, what Tabitha had to say? She gave us a pretty good overview on what's happening with a lot of things curling-wise in the USA. I thought a couple of interesting things she said. One was the draw shot challenge of acknowledging how important that is to them and to all teams. That When they're pre-practice session, they pretty much only throw draws. They don't throw takeouts. So I thought that was kind of interesting. I thought her other take that was kind of... uh, one to note was their feeling about alternate players. And she mentioned the fact that with the introduction of mixed doubles on the scene, that a lot of four-person players are going to be probably playing mixed doubles as well, that maybe as we're moving forward here, five-person teams and four-person curling may become more of a common place than it is now, and that may be what, what influences. So I thought those were two interesting points that she made. 
Kev, you've always said you don't like the fifth man alternate because you got to split the cash. <laughs> Jim, 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 hang on. This, the stuff we talk about when we're not on the mic, we were supposed to keep that off the mic. <laughs> That's not the way this is supposed to work. <laughs> but you're right. You're right. That was certainly, uh, unfortunately, my personality. <laughs> now you got all these teams winning with only three players, uh, but I'm retired now. It's, it's a real shame. I got an idea. Yeah, it's just, it's just me and the lead, okay? Okay, we're going to split it twice. She's got lots to say. Great spokeswoman uh, or spokeswoman uh, for curling in America. Uh, she talked about several things and and one about, you know, maybe you got to mix up your teams a little bit. This is the day and age of teams collapsing and putting new teams together. What do you say about Tabitha, Kev? Well, there's lots, lots of great to say. One thing that I think is really important for everybody to realize is curling in the U.S. is different than curling in Canada, especially at the club level. I spent a lot of time in various clubs all over the U.S. with the Lupus Foundation. The passion of the curlers in the U.S. is unbelievable. Such a passionate group. They come to have fun. Like it's, it's kind of in its infancy, really, in, in the U.S. It's coming along actually pretty quick. But the clubs are just going to continue to grow and to expand more and more clubs all the time because uh, there's just so much fun being had inside the club. And I think that's something that people want to realize. Uh, that's why the sport is growing so fast in the U.S. It's just people just have a blast, the members of the clubs. And I shouldn't say members. That's not even accurate. It's not like a season gym where you start in September and you go till May. It can be, but it can also be where you just curl a few games and if you've got, say, time in October through to December, say, and then other than that, you're busy doing something else. Well, no problem. There's there's room for you. And so they pretty much just make room, make it work. Everybody has a blast and they just have so much fun. And I think, you know, Tabitha talked about the passion in the U.S. And that's something that uh, is really true. And I really enjoy it. It's so much fun to go to the, not just the dedicated clubs, but even the arena clubs in the U.S. It's very different, Jim. Yeah, it is kind of interesting. Years ago, when I was in the curling school business, we used to do a run late in the year uh, from the curling teaching season, I might add, which was early December, from Buffalo to Boston. And we used to do Buffalo, Utica, Schenectady, Albany, and then the final clinic was in Boston. And although the clientele were probably a lot older than most of the people we taught in Canada, Boy, we always used to comment about how eager and how enthused they were about the sport. Just a different uh, kind of feeling about it than, than you see in Canada. So uh, that's an interesting point, Kevin. Right. Warren, you are the barometer uh, for the growth of curling. You've been around since uh, you know 1911, talking about curling and making it grow. Take us back there that you started to see the U.S. coming onto the scene because they, they always weren't there. When, when, when did that happen, roughly, Warren, that these guys became a player in the game of curling? Uh, I think that's a very simple answer, and that's the Olympics. With uh, the Olympics coming on the scene back in 1988, 1998, I should say, uh, a lot happened in the U.S. The U.S. Olympic Committee became involved, and it took a whole new prominence uh, within the United States, particularly with NBC being the Olympic broadcaster. So that was, I think, where the big change started to happen down there was the 98 Olympics. Schuster winning, right? Must have must have just taken well, it over yeah, the top. Yeah, Schuster right? again. Um, you know, the Schuster win was interesting. I was I was working with the U.S. Uh, at that point in time, and I can remember talking to Rick Patsky, and I said, you know, this is fantastic, but man, if it had happened maybe another quad later or even two, I think we would have been able to capitalize on it more. And because I think to a large degree, they just weren't ready for that to happen. But it still had a huge impact and still has on uh, curling in the U.S. Kev, you talked about, is it Shaska's Kev, which is, according to you, might be the nicest curling club in the world? 
It's, it's certainly up there. Absolutely, I'm going to be there in a few days to do some curling schools. Once again, with Regan and uh, Todd Burr with the Lupus Foundation. And it is so nice. Yeah, the ice is fantastic, which is great. The National Training Centre is at that club for now. The problem there is it's a very busy club. It's super busy because it's so nice and everybody enjoys being there. Um, so there's not a lot of ice time. Uh, I had a great talk with Jeff Plush about the high performance. And uh, Jeff was saying that like for uh, the fitness training, uh, the Viking Lakes uh, facility is where they do their physical training. And then the curling training is at Chazka. So, you know, to have one high performance center where you can do both kind of like what they have in Scotland right now, which obviously is working extremely well. They just keep winning all the time. And juniors, and uh, congratulations to the junior men's team, of course, in uh, in Scotland, who won first prize again. And, uh, and of course, Bruce Mowat doing so well. And, of course, Eve Muirhead doing so well in mixed doubles. So Scotland's really become tough. And, and uh, their high performance center, I think, has a lot to do with that. And I know in the U.S., they're definitely trying to get the same type of scenario going down there. All right, uh, Kevin, great job on that interview. Warren, I like, I, I'm going to quote you now, Warren. I, I asked, you know, how did she do in the players? Warren said, not very good. Bing, bing, bong, Kev. Okay, bing, bing, bong. <laughs> not so good. Thanks a lot to Tabitha. Thank you, Kevin, uh, for lining that up. And thank you to all our sponsors, Sports Interaction, Coyote Tractor, Goldline, Nestle Boost, and Meridian for bringing you this special edition of Inside Curling. We'll talk to everybody the next time. Take it easy, Kev. See you, Warren. Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks, Jim. Bing, bing, bong.